Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Political Shadings Podcast. My name's John Lawyer. And I'm Andrew Goldberg. We are your window into the green economy. Today we are, as usual, coming to you live from the Big Wig Media Studios in the beautiful Willard Office Complex in our nation's capital, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And uh, today we are going to have two highly esteemed guests in studio with us. Uh, Mike Evans from K&L Gates Law Firm and, and Jerome Garciano from the Paulinelli Law Firm to talk to us about energy efficiency tax policy, green building tax policy, the Inflation Reduction Act, climate change, the IRS, all of it. <laughs> all of it. Uh, but we do want to pause for a moment and thank our uh, esteemed musician, Joshua Espinoza, who you hear his music uh, right before I start yammering away. And uh, we can't thank him enough for his efforts on our behalf. And we'd also like to thank our uh, esteemed corporate sponsors, Somfy Incorporated, and the newest member of our podcast team, Jackie Hankel. Jackie, why don't you tell us what's going on at Somfy? Thanks, John. Want to learn more about Somfy? Visit somfypro.com forward slash Zigbee to learn more about Somfy's newest ecosystem of smart home products. That's somfypro.com forward slash Z-I-G-B-E-E. Or you can visit us on Instagram at somfyus. Back to you, John. Outstanding. Thanks, Jackie. So, here we are again. Here we are. Yet another episode. And yet another episode. They haven't canceled us yet. Not yet. We're not on Netflix, so they can't cancel us, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Yeah, and hundreds and hundreds of listeners at this point, which... Hey, we started with, uh, you know, I think, I think it was your mom and uh, you know, my mom. Tens and tens. exactly. Right. So we're, we're, we are growing. So <clears throat> we've come so far in the past <laughs> month. Um, talk to me about what's going on here in our nation's capital that might affect the folks in our listenership. Well, so it's been uh, kind of an interesting time period here. We are, of course, right about at the uh, the verge, the edge of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Congress has left town, and, oh. and probably none too soon. Oh, God. What, yeah. Why did they leave town? Don't they have work to do? Uh, I, I... Well, yes, but it's probably a good thing. So I want to give you, John, if I give you a little vignette of All life right. here in our nation's capital. Please. So on Tuesday, last Tuesday... Uh, we were about 72 hours away from a government shutdown, major crises yeah, in TikTok. Israel, right. Ukraine. Uh, you know, the president about the to meet with, ticking. with you know, the leader of China. You know, all these things happening. <laughs> What's going on on the Capitol Hill at that point? Right. Well, on the Senate side, a senator from Oklahoma uh, challenged a union leader to a fist fight in the middle of a congressional hearing. Literally stood up, was taking off his wedding band. Like 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 his earrings yeah, in like, a club exactly like, like, ready to ready to throw down oh there in the thing. Uh, Bernie Sanders, who was the chairman of the committee, had to tell him to sit down. And you know, if Bernie Sanders <laughs> is the voice of reason, you know you're in trouble. Yeah. So so that's going on over there on on the on the the, the Senate side. On the House side, meanwhile, you had the situation. Uh, Tim Burchett is a Republican congressman from Tennessee. He's one of the eight Republicans who voted to oust Speaker McCarthy back right, in right, October. Right, right. He's Part there. of the Freedom Caucus. The Freedom Caucus. He's yes. there in the hallway, and allegedly, he says, that Kevin McCarthy walks past him and punches, elbows him or something in the kidneys. Gives him a kidney shot. In in the kidneys. In the kidneys, yeah. Not just... Uh, and a rather specific area. A very specific area, right. which I'm guessing is not a good feeling. So Burchett... Uh, didn't just bump into him. Didn't just bump into him. It's crowded. Allegedly, let's be right. clear. right. right. Uh, gives him a kidney shot. Burchett runs after him, accusing him of, of hitting him. Meanwhile, there are reporters all around. This is the Capitol here, so they're right. covering all this. And, and McCarthy's like, I didn't do that. And by the way, if I did hit him in the kidneys, he'd be down on the floor. So you have that oh going on. Meanwhile, uh, in, in, a, in a hearing on the House side, you have the chairman of this committee, uh, a Republican from, from Kentucky, who's uh, James Comer, who is the, the lead instigator, or investigator, rather, of the Hunter Biden laptop, China, whatever. Oh, God, not the uh, laptop. Not the laptop. Yeah, he gets into a shouting match with a Democrat on the committee. At one point, he calls him a smurf, which I guess is an insult. I don't a know. smurf? A smurf, yeah, don't okay. ask. Okay. So all this is happening on Tuesday. Um, and was, it, was there something in, in the water? I, po- I don't know, possibly. I mean, I'm a little concerned right now, frankly, John, that you and I are going to come to blows at some point, because that's what... 
things have happened. I, I, if we could do that, we, 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 we could throw down right here, I guess, and uh, and and big wig. I don't think they'd like that. But um, no, but, but and, and and people were saying, well, look, the Congress has been now; they've been in session for ten straight weeks. They had the whole speaker fight and near government shutdowns, well, things. Now, now, I don't know about you, but I I've, I've worked ten weeks in a row before, and I haven't tried to beat up one of my colleagues. Well, you worked. Ten whole weeks in a row. Yeah, ten weeks in a row, and and so they're saying. But 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 the the thing is that there is just a lot of residual anger over the the, the speaker controversy and the ouster of the speaker. But it sounds like they're angry at each other. Well, there is. I mean, a lot of this is is sort of inter intra party Republicans fighting each other, <laughs> and, and and to be clear, obviously there there are some tensions on the Democratic side because right. of. Uh, the Israeli Hamas war, things like that, but 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 tensions are really high, and, and this is not a great environment in which to get things done, because a big part of politics, as you and I well know, is sort of trust and the ability not to you know punch people when you're you're disagree with them, uh, and so it's created a bit of a, a challenge. Now now the good news is, the good news as it was, Congress did manage to avoid a shutdown. Uh, government was. On the verge, or on on. Yeah, talk to me about that yeah. because the, I, usually with a what they did was they passed something called the continuing resolution, which right. means that essentially the budget as it stands continues forward until a certain date. Exactly. But they did something a little weird this a little, time. Well, a little weird. So so they back in September, late September, they had <clears> passed <throat> this continuing resolution or CR in DC speak, right? Uh, which went until November seventeenth. And you may recall that was the vote uh, in the House. Kevin McCarthy had to get the votes of Democrats to pass it, and that's what really instigated the whole ouster effort. So now you have the new speaker, Mike Johnson, um, and, and what he proposed. Who still has to do the same thing? The same job, right? I mean, the government was going to shut down. November 17th, uh, unless they passed uh, another CR. And so what, what he proposed was something called a, a laddered approach, which is basically that instead of passing one CR, it's basically like two of them. And so what they say is we'll, we'll continue funding for some government agencies until early January and others until about mid, early to mid-February. What's his game? Um, well, Part of his game is to survive as speaker, yeah. I guess, to have a little more uh, length of time there. Although, at this point, yeah, right, it's hard to say. But, but I mean, part of it was to, uh, and this was an idea that came from the Freedom Caucus. And, and I mean, part of the idea was to give Congress more time to get past these full-year appropriations bills. Remember, there are big disagreements between the House on one side, the Senate, and, and, and the White House on the other on the overall spending amount. So he brought up this, this, this bill that would create this sort of two-tiered uh, continuing resolution process that is, is a little bit confusing, uh, it, it became pretty clear that Republicans were not going to vote for this, or at least not all Republicans <laughs> were going to vote for it. Right. So, so he had to use the special process they use in the House where you can bring up a bill uh, kind of on a fast-track procedure, get it to the floor. It needs two-thirds of the House to support it. This it's, is without committee and ex- all of without the floor amendments and all that right. stuff, right? It's really for non-controversial things. If you're going to name a post office, this is what he <laughs> used it for. But he used this to keep the government open, and the bill passed with a large amount of Democratic support. Then it went to the Senate. Senate passed it. President, President signed, signed, signed it. it. Right. So, so the government won't shut down. But what's notable is that this was basically the same thing that happened two months earlier when Kevin McCarthy brought up a the, continuing the resolution, resolution and right. needed a lot of support from Democrats. That, of course, led to his ouster. Eight Republicans voted with Democrats to, to kick him out, and eventually we got to Mike Johnson. This time, we're not hearing Republicans say we're going to kick him out, partially because I think a lot of people realize that that, that whole 22-day saga of trying to find a speaker was not something we want to go through again. Also, I think Mike Johnson, because he is a very conservative member, there's a little more trust there. But the problem is this. What they've essentially done is kicked the can down the road. Eventually, Congress is going to have to pass these for full-year appropriations bills. Now, that could be a year-long CR. No, no, it could be, right. But, but here's the thing. So going back, Congress and the White House, they agreed back in the spring that we're going to cut the overall spending of agencies a little bit. Um, then House Republicans, the Freedom Caucus, said, well, no, we want a bigger, deeper cut. If they pass a full-year CR, basically that keeps funding levels at the way they were last year, which is higher than really what anybody wants. So that's not ideal. Right. Um, the other, so either they do that 
or they have to come to agreement on funding bills. Now, that Freedom Caucus in the House, these very kind of far-right Republicans, they still want big, deep budget cuts. Or a shutdown. Well, or a shutdown, right. They're willing to shut the government down. Uh, so at some point, what we've done is basically push, delay the inevitable, which is at some point, Speaker Johnson is going to either have to go to those hardliners and say, look, the, the Senate is not with us. The, How the White House is not with us. We have to pass bills that don't cut as much spending as you'd like it to. And either they agree or they don't agree. Or they get rid of him. And or they get rid of him, we start over again, right? Or the government shuts down at some point. Um, and, and so the, the fundamental challenge is that the Republican Party, and this is where a lot of this tension has come in the last week and the, the fighting and the kidney punching. <laughs> the, the removal of the earrings. The removal of the earrings and the, yeah, the, the octagon kind of thing. Um, it is because there, there is no way out of this reality, which is either A, they have to pass a budget with Democratic support or they pass uh, budget bills with only Republican support that will die in the Senate and the White House. Now, now, meanwhile, of course, while all this is happening, there's the other matter, which is funding for Israel and Ukraine, uh, right. which is something that the White foreign House— Foreign policy. I mean, foreign policy. The White House supports that. Senate Democrats and, and most Senate Republicans support— Right. Mitch McConnell has come out very publicly and said— Exactly. Right. For, for both of those. Um, and the House, there is support for funding for, for Israel, not for Ukraine. And so even as we figure out whether or not we can keep the, our government open, there's this bigger looming— <laughs> And we keep their governments open. Exactly right. And so it has an impact on foreign policy as well. And so that, that's really kind of—so so we're going home for Thanksgiving now. That's great. We'll all have our turkey and watch our football and everything. Who but doesn't love that? Who doesn't love a good turkey? Um, but after that, coming back into December— we're going to be back where we started in, in some respects that we have to then figure out a way forward uh, without having Republicans get rid of their speaker. Wouldn't it have been easier to maybe not go on break so early and solve some of these problems? I, or, I'm sorry, never mind. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, look, I think there's also the point of diminishing returns and certainly... Uh, when sure. members are... More earrings removed. More earrings, right? More crankiness, more everything else. More kidney. Right. Damage <laughs> exactly. As a uh, side note, I do know Sean O'Brien, the head of the Teamsters Union, who was on the other side of the dais uh, in that Senate hearing that day, and this is a man who has fought um, strike wars with baseball bats. Yeah. So um, you can take off all the earrings you want. That man would have cleaned that dude's clock. Well, well. Although to be fair, Mark Wayne Mullen, who was the senator from Oklahoma, <laughs> who by the way stands on Apple boxes for press conferences. He does. Yeah, that's part of the reason they had this fight because of that. He is, I guess, a mixed martial arts competitor. I don't know how good or not. Right. I, I can't say that. I, I honestly, I think this will end up with there be some kind of pay per view. Exactly. Uh, I'm type, sure Dana White thing. will step in at some point uh, yeah. and try to monetize this. Um, you know, I, I mean, I will say also it's interesting. Watch your congressman take on other congressmen. Exactly. Now, I will note, interestingly, the next day, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson happened to be on Capitol Hill for, for some other reason. but Having to do with, with, with military recruitment? or Yeah, yeah. something like that. Something Weird. already positive. But it, right. it, it seems to me, if, if, if I think the opportunity here to have kind of a, put an octagon in the middle of the rotunda I just think there's something here that, if that you, could... That if could, you sm there's money to be made. There's money to be made by somebody or something. Yeah. Fix the deficit problems. Well, I, the, really, and, and this is one of the things I want to focus on in, in the interview here in a couple minutes with our esteemed guests, but this nonsense and, and this lack of, of foresight, this lack of, of ability to get things done affects the continuity of business. Exactly. Full Absolutely. Stop. And and that's what I think a lot of people and a lot of uh, even consumers, let alone businesses and business people are feeling is uh, the inability to understand what is happening, the inability to be able to react to it in a timely and meaningful yeah. fashion, and to be able to exact a positive change that benefits your bottom line. That could be your checking account. That could be your business account. That could be your, your profitability. Your IRA, your, your, your yeah. 401k, yeah. And so that that's, you know, the the, the faux frustration aside of, of some of our colleagues on Capitol Hill uh, because they worked a couple weeks in a row. I think at the end of the day, that's really the net effect of this is that it's it's affecting the continuity of the ability of the business community to con to grow right and to plan and to have some future and, and and I'd go even beyond that I mean there are folks who argue you know I mentioned uh, President Biden met this week 
out in California at a summit with President Xi of China. Which and apparently went very well. Went very well. We're getting the pandas back, apparently. We're getting oh, our pandas back. So, I mean, you know, who doesn't love the pandas? Who doesn't love the pandas? But, but, you know, there is this sort of uh, a debate kind of in the world. You have folks like, you know, Xi and you have Vladimir Putin. Um, who are authoritarian rulers who have, are making, trying to make the case that democracy doesn't work uh, and that the only way to have a successful country and a safe country is through the sort of authoritarianism, censorship, call it whatever you want. Um, it doesn't really help uh, those of us who like democracy when you have you know, the world's sort of premier democracy having these kinds of these kinds of food fights uh, in Congress. And I'm not suggesting that because Mark Wayne Mullen challenged Sean O'Brien to a fight that Russia is going to take over the world. I mean, right. it's not quite like that, but, but it certainly doesn't really help as we deal with a lot of these foreign international challenges when you see kind of this, this infighting and this near-government shutdowns and everything else happening. It doesn't really uh, – it, it's not the best look for us. It is not. It is not. And so to that end, I think we're going to go to a break uh, and bring in our, our, our guests to discuss, again, the intersection of the green economy and business and talk about how, you know, for instance, our, our corporate sponsor, SOMFI, uh, we're in the process of working with our own trade association, the Attachment Energy Ratings Council, on working with the Internal Revenue Service to get the automated shading industry qualified for things like the energy efficiency tax credit right. or even something as simple as you know, a battery-operated shading motor that's powered from a solar cell to qualify for the solar tax credit for commercial buildings. So um, we're going to bring in our guests, Mike Evans from k Gates and Jerome Garciano from Paulinelli Law Firm, and sort of get their expert advice and, and opinion on what's going on and, and how we might be able to continue and, and, and sort of guarantee that continuity and, and you know, bring a... a a sense of calm to the process. So after the break, we'll uh, we'll get right into it. And we're back. And we're back. We're back. And we are here with two esteemed guests. Thank you both for appearing today. Today we have Mike Evans from the K&L Gates Law Firm and Jerome Garciano from the Paul Zanelli Law Firm. Thank you both very much. We're not used to having such highfalutin guests on the podcast, so we really appreciate your time and effort today, guys. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right, well, let's jump right into it as if, you know, we know what we're doing. Exactly. Uh, go ahead. Do you want to go ahead? Yeah, well, you know, we, we're so glad to have both of you here. I think you're two of the foremost uh, experts on, on tax policy in this country, particularly related to energy efficiency and climate and uh, you know, all those issues. And I guess I'll start maybe for Mike, um, and I'll, I'll mention Mike was for a long time the senior counsel, tax counsel to the Senate Finance Committee. Yep. Uh, so he's somebody who, who has helped write our tax laws. I, I think that's a good thing to say and accurate. Um, but I guess my question for Mike is, you know, is there going to be any tax legislation this year? Are we looking for anything that's coming down the pike that Congress might do related to taxes? Well, thanks. Thanks, Andrew and John. And thanks. Uh, it's good to be with all the folks from Sonfi. Um, th that there is work. The answer is maybe. There is work to be done, but work is from Congress is typically driven by deadlines. What needs to be done is generally speaking a, a, a package of business tax provisions or incentives that have expired. One relates to depreciable equipment that are used in businesses, including small businesses. Another relates to research and development expenses. Those have expired and there's a, a general bipartisan interest in getting those, getting those uh, uh, re-upped. And Democrats though are saying that if if they're going to agree to some business tax provisions, they also want to include some, I'll call it family tax provisions that help low-income families. And so the idea is potentially pair some business tax incentives with some family tax benefits, right. something in the order of $45 billion in business tax incentives and $45 billion in family tax incentives. And there seems to be some momentum towards getting getting an agreement there. However, Congress is driven by deadlines, and uh, an agreement like this is most likely to pass and get slipped into 
one of those continuing resolutions that everybody hears about. But as folks know, uh, within the last week or so, Congress has delayed the next deadline until uh, January and February. So maybe there'll be an agreement this year, but it's more likely to slip until uh, early next year. And, and then I think there's a good chance. And, and I mean, just if I could ask, you know, I, I think it's safe to say that Congress this year is not really shown the ability to get things done quickly or on time or without uh, some contentiousness. I mean, do you think there, with the House in, Dem in Republican hands, the Senate in Democratic hands, and these narrow majorities, do you think, you know, there's, there are enough votes, essentially, to get something passed? Well, I'm a perpetual optimist. I always expect the Red Sox to win the World Series. That's good. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, and so I always kind of look on the bright side. This is probably the least productive Congress I've ever seen. But at some point, people are going to want to start getting things done, right? Right. And, and so you look around and say, okay, where could we potentially reach an agreement? And a relatively small tax package is a place where potentially they could they could reach an agreement. And from what I hear, the Democratic chairman of the Finance Committee, Senator Wyden, is talking to his counterpart, the Republican chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, uh, uh, Congressman Smith. And heck, you've got a Democrat and a Republican talking to each other. Who knows? That's a Maybe something could come of that. <laughs> let's let's be optimistic. <clears throat> we'll try. Um, so, jumping into something that you mentioned, Mike, for Jerome, we're, we're talking about, you know, tax incentives, and, and one of the taglines for the podcast is, we are your window into the green economy. Um, so, talk to us about what you're seeing is in terms of big tax incentives for green building that you're tracking at the state, local, or the federal level. Yes. Um, I mean, where to begin? I mean, this is... Um certainly a year which we're reflecting a lot on the Inflation Reduction Act, right? And so in 2022, it was basically, you know, the biggest package uh, that is impacting kind of energy policy and climate change that this country has seen. So, you know, so that was in August of 22. Um, and we basically had a year plus of IRS regulations that have been coming out kind of, uh, you know, reflecting on the new uh, programs, the new legislation. And so um, pretty much we're tracking everything. Um, <laughs> I guess the, the big pieces of uh, that affect kind of green building, kind of energy efficiency. Uh, certainly there was an expansion of a tax credit called the 45L tax credit, right. which is for energy efficient homes. Um, there were a lot of increases to that program, uh, which was welcome news. Um, and I'm seeing, you know, a lot more interest in that program from real estate developers, multifamily professionals. Um, and so I think that that's going to, uh, you know, hopefully continue to grow. Um, you know, certainly the renewable energy space is, you know, continuing to, um, yeah, just really uh, move forward with a lot of these incentives. Um, some of the new pieces that we're really hearing a lot about is interest in the battery storage piece. Yeah, right. And, you know, as as everything electrifies and kind of this whole infrastructure, smart infrastructure, microgrid um, uh, world kind of, kind of comes to fruition, uh, I think a lot of people are looking for incentives around those those as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, a couple of the other changes actually are, are more general in nature. Um, I think really a policy to try to get more uh, projects involved in these tax credits as well as uh, investors. And so a lot of these uh, tax incentives, the way they work is uh, oftentimes a third party who has tax liability who owes you know taxes to the federal government will actually buy or invest in these projects in exchange for these credits so um a lot of the changes in the inflation reduction act um, talk about how to actually monetize those credits so a a really big one is uh the opportunity for nonprofit organizations tax-exempt organizations that you know normally you know don't pay taxes right uh to be able to get a cash refund from the IRS. So if they qualify, if they own a project that qualifies for 
uh, a credit, um, they can now monetize that credit through this cash refund uh, option. And um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, regulations that everybody's hopeful will come out uh, before the end of the year uh, to be able to execute on those types of transactions. But that's just one example of kind of a, a structural change. I think that opens up a lot more opportunity for people, for, you know, uh, companies and, and nonprofits. I mean, think of universities, hospitals, school districts right. that want to go energy efficient or they want to, you know, in incorporate some type of um, renewable energy batteries piece. Um, those all, I think, are a lot more accessible in terms of monetizing those credits now because of the Inflation Reduction Act. That's great. <clears throat> so when you say nonprofit, are you talking about C3, C6? Like wh which which version of, of a nonprofit? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty broad. I mean, government agencies as well. Yeah. Um, you know, tribal, um, tribal so really uh, entities. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, again, I, I think of really more kind of like user uh, cases in terms of um, – uh, groups and organizations that might have like a kind of an energy project. And again, my mind immediately thinks of like kind of higher education, school districts, mm -hmm, you know, there's right. a lot of interest in, you know, decarbonizing kind of operations and as well as, you know, going, you know, going solar or going, you know, renewable. And um, again, this, this um, option of having a 501c3, um, get a cash refund now just makes things a lot simpler yeah, where in deal. the past you know the project would have had to been large enough you know pre-inflation reduction act it would have had to uh, incorporate some type of complex uh, tax partnership structure right. to uh, you know partner with you know a an investor that had tax liability so um <clears throat> you know th so those types of uses i think you know uh, really um are going to grow over the next few years especially once these regulations come out Interesting. Let me just add, add something there. Uh, yeah. I've been uh, uh, also talking, like Joe, I'm talking to cities and towns, let's say, and universities about taking advantage of these credits. And it's taking a while to get people comfortable with it because cities and towns, for example, they're used to applying for grants, but they don't pay taxes. And so you, you, you explain to them, well, there are these tax credits available, and they're a little bit, a little bit nervous about it uh, because, because it's something new. So to the, if your town is thinking about uh, a wind project or electrification uh, charging stations or electric buses the, the town could potentially the town, city of town could potentially be getting a significant financial help from the federal government but people have to step up and and, and start um and start thinking about that and um uh, and and, and uh, taking the steps to to apply yeah yeah i mean mike's completely right i mean you don't know how many calls i i've taken over the past year just people, they don't understand, right? They, they know there's money out there. They just don't understand. How do they access And, it? Right. you know, for these groups that have never, yeah, filed kind of a, a <clears throat> tax return, it's like they don't even know how to do it, right? And so uh, it is a lot of education. Um, and, again, a lot of these decision makers, they're, obviously they're not tax experts and they're not technology experts, right? And so there you have two two big barriers, kind of, you know, usually a newer newish technology, right? And then this complicated tax piece. And so it, it just takes a lot of handholding, really, like honestly, uh, doing a lot of calls and just saying, okay, you know, this is going to be okay. We can, you know, we can figure this out. This is not completely new in terms of like tax credits, right? Tax credits have been around a long time. Right. Although obviously nonprofits haven't, you know, played in that pool. But, um, uh, you know, it, it, there is opportunities. And I think for those who are willing to, um, kind of step up. And I also think there needs to be a role in some type of, I don't know, uh, intermediary or some type of quasi-governmental group to kind of fill in the gap of the of technical assistance, right? Because I, I think what Mike's saying is like, yeah. I think a lot of groups need technical assistance at the very beginning. <laughs> and so, you know, if there was something like that in place to kind of help people, either trade association or something that, that can kind of uh, pick up on these and kind of, you know, e even spend spend the resources to kind of develop that base level knowledge to begin with, to get past the initial, you know, um, fear. Uh, uh, I think that would go a long way. Well, you bring up an interesting point, which is, you know, the, the fear of the tax code that most people have, right? So, 
you know, things like tax reform, tax simplification. Why don't, the, I'll ask you both, why don't those things happen? Like, why hasn't it happened to make this less onerous? I'll, 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 I'll go first and I'll say that I've been kind of working on that. I don't want to age myself too much, but I've been working on tax legislation since 1983. Oh, is that all? <laughs> <laughs> and so I've seen this ball bounce back and forth. And the fact is that tax simplification doesn't really have a constituency. What do people think about taxes? Well, they want them to be low and they want there to be incentives for the things that they like. And whether it's clean energy or whether it's a particular type of investment. But it there's not a natural constituency for simplification. It takes it takes time to build that and people have to invest some of their own political capital for it. They have to they have to the American people have to want the system to be simpler and more fair. Now it did happen once. In 1986 uh, there was a overhaul of the tax code where a a lot of, most of, the special incentives and credits and loopholes, if you will, were repealed, and money that was raised by doing that went into lower rates for everybody. So it, it did happen once, but it doesn't happen. 40 years ago, right. It happened 40 years ago, uh, but there needs to be a constituency for simplicity. So to that point, you know, one point, and, and you know, Mike, I know you worked, you were on the, the Hill when the IRA, uh, you know, was developed and written, you were involved in that. And of course, Congress passes a law, signed into law, and then it goes to, up to the IRS to uh, write the rules, as Jerome said, put in the guidelines to put these uh, these tax incentives into motion. I mean, how do you think it's going? I mean, we've, we've heard a lot of talk over the last year about the workforce at the IRS, the staff, the capacity for them to... To, to do their jobs. I mean, how is it working, do you think? It, it, it's working well. It, it's working well, but it's but it, but it could be significantly better. Uh, it, it's taking time. Jerome talked about all of the various regulations that, that have to come out. But it's a big project. We're talking about tax incentives worth about $55 billion a year over 20 years. And, and, and in many cases, there are new ideas, like the direct pay concept that we talked about earlier, where cities and towns have to step up. There's a lot of new provisions in residential energy that, 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 that people are thinking about. And I know that Sophie is working, is working uh, to help the IRS and to educate people about some of that. Correct. Uh, but it's not just, you know, I've learned, maybe I shouldn't be learning this so late in life, that you know, <laughs> passing a good law isn't enough. And implementing it isn't entirely up to the administration. Why, why isn't the Treasury Department doing more to get the word out? Well, there should be intermediary groups. You know, others have to get the word out. Um, and and uh, you know, it's up to all of us. There yeah, are all these new tax credits available that you, can, that you can use in your town, in your business, in your home. Right. And, and, and now, we have to, now we have to do the hard work of, of implementing it. Now what? Yeah, the yeah, actual guidance. I think you know, and I think that's kind of the the beauty and the curse of tax credits and and having policy through tax credits, right? Because it is essentially a public private uh, strategy, right? A, a public private, and so you have right. uh, you know uh, for profit businesses, private developers, uh, industry groups that um, you know have have a say in it and have, you know, you know, big dollars kind of like at, at stake on this. Uh, and then you also have the, the kind of the government oversight, the government kind of regulations that need to be rolled out. And it just, it's just a lot more complex um, than let's say a government grant kind of process, right? Or, or on the other side, just a, a purely private, you know, foundation doing a kind of a grant request. And so, and then you weave it into you know the mechanisms of how it gets rolled out into the tax code <laughs> and how it gets structured through you know partnerships or s corps and you know other other um you know more standard tax provisions and then you get a you know real complex mix there which you know uh, to me i find fascinating that's why i kind of chose this work and kind of interested in kind of the policy aspects of it as well um and um but it does take time, and obviously, people are doing the best that they can. Uh, but you know, it's 
it's been like more than a year now. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are like, <laughs> you know, because you're losing time. Right. And, That's and, right. and, and it's like, okay, if you got a deadline, like, you know, uh, the private sector is afraid to transact because we don't really know the rules. And, you know, we just lost a year, uh, you know, it could be one, one opinion. Right. So, um, you know, for me, if, if there was a, a better way to do it, I kind of would think that, you know, you you pass the law, right? And then maybe there's like a transitional period where like the time, you know, the timeline doesn't really kind of start ticking. And maybe there is some elements of that, you know, built in here or there, but um, but there is this transition time. And that's kind of what we're, we have been in this past year, kind of drips and drabs of regulations coming out. And then and then comments, you know, the private private groups, private sector need to comment on those and kind of back and forth. Um, but, uh, you know, all the while it's like, okay, if there's if this, these incentives are only out there for a certain time period, a certain number of years, uh, you know, I think it's, it just moves everybody to, you know, just really focus and kind of get these things out so that the markets can change. Right. And that, and the, and people can do transactions and people can get, deploy these technologies that we want to do. I mean, that raises a kind of an interesting point, which is the federal government has a department of energy, right. That has a lot of experts on energy efficiency and renewable energy and all sorts of things. It has the EPA uh, that does a lot of work on the environment. Um, and yet, you know, these tax uh, provisions, of course, have to be developed and the rules developed by Department of Treasury. And there are many great people working in the Department of Treasury, but they're not necessarily experts on energy and energy efficiency and technologies. I mean, I'm asking a question I know the answer to already, but I'll ask it. Wouldn't it be so much easier if Congress if Congress wanted to spend $50 billion or so to make buildings and cars and factories more energy efficient, wouldn't it be better to give the money to DOE and put that money out there? I mean, is the tax code the right, the best way to be actually trying to advance climate goals? Well, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a sad answer, which is that it was the best tool available to someone that was working on the Hill at the time. Given the filibuster, and given the um, complete paralysis between Republicans and Democrats, the only way that Democrats, I don't mean to be too partisan here, but the only way that Democrats could pass a bill in the Senate was to use something called the reconciliation process, which allows you to overcome a filibuster. And it's a fancy procedural word, but it means that everything in the bill has to be related to the budget, and basically that everything in the bill has to, in this case, uh, be related to the tax system. So right. the only way to pass most of this was to make, was to use a tax tool, even if it wasn't the first or second best way to get at it. So, uh, so tax incentives uh, were what was available and, and, and that, that's what passed. I think that in an ideal world, you'd have a bipartisan consensus to do it in other ways. Yeah, and, and you know the I, the Inflation Reduction Act did have a whole section that was um, the non-tax piece, right? So right. there are billions of dollars actually in play on the yeah, there was some on the grant side for sure. Um, and and you know the the Department of Energy and the EPA are you know to me it seems like there is a tag team between kind of IRS Treasury and the the energy agencies actually on this one that I've never seen before um, and. So I think that's uh, encouraging, and I, I actually think it is going well. Although, um, you know, again, each group has their own specialty and kind of ways of doing things, and it seems like they're trying to do their best in terms of kind of blending this, and you know, and, and maybe it's not as, as smooth um, in that if like one agency actually was just kind of like doing it by themselves. But um, but yeah, again, it's it's a complex uh, legislation that we're trying to roll out, and there are a lot of groups involved. I'd like to switch gears a little bit and, and get both of your opinions on something that's a little controversial. So, you know, there's some funding for the in, in the Internal Revenue Service in the Inflation Reduction Act to hire tens of thousands of IRS agents to f ostensibly facilitate further the the tax collection, the 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 tax audit, the tax etc. process, and so you hear. Democrats saying that that that's very much needed to to inject you know 
basically revenue into the federal government's coffers. You have the Republicans saying that this is an excuse to go after middle-class taxpayers. Our experience as lobbyists is that, you know, oftentimes, you know, the truth is in the middle. So why does this debate exist? Why does it matter? And who's, who's telling the truth? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take that up a, a bit. And, and I think that folks, particularly folks who run small businesses are concerned when they hear about 80,000 80, agents you know, and worried about people, you know, you know, IRS agents with knives between their teeth crawling in the window. Uh, and um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not what this is about. And that's, that's, that's not, that's not what, what's going to happen here. The IRS for a long time has been on this. Uh, and in order to, uh, and what the IRA did was it, it provided an, an appropriation of $80 billion over 10 years, and it's to improve revenue collection. And, and just like, uh, you know, with the business, if, if you if you reduce the amount that you're spending on accounts receivable and collections, you might, you, your bottom line might turn out worse rather than better. And that's what happened when we reduced funding for the IRS. We're bringing in less than we could right. yeah. on a better system. And the tech, the idea is that the funding will be used not 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 mostly for agents. It's not 80,000 agents. It's 80,000 employees. And most of those aren't agents. Think about people answering phones, people improving computers and things like that. And the, the data shows that if you spend money on the, on, the, on the IRS in the right way, you do it in the right way, every dollar spent brings in three or four dollars in return. Oh. And that that comes in large part because of increased voluntary compliance. After all, uh, most people want to pay their taxes, and, but they may be confused about what the right what the right answer is in a particular in a particular case. But right now, or at least in the last couple of years, if you call the IRS, nobody answers the phone. And if they answer the phone, they don't necessarily give you the right answer. So if you improve taxpayer service at the IRS, you're actually going to get a significant payoff in increased voluntary compliance. It's going to raise money, it's going to raise revenue rather than cost revenue, and the budget experts will tell you that. And also, uh, there's going to be, a part of the money is going to be devoted to, uh, if you will, increased audits of the big guys uh, who can hire the lawyers that they need to uh, face off against the IRS, and the IRS doesn't really have that particularly good chance uh, in, in litigation. So the the idea is to give the IRS the resources it needs for the big audits. And here I'm talking about people with uh, scores of hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, there uh, was a very, very clear signal set to the IRS as part of this debate that they should not be increasing audits on people earning under $400,000 a year, but instead they should be using it for improving taxpayer service, get the darn computers up to shape, they're 30 years out of date, and increase audits on upper income people. So uh, hopefully there can be a consensus to preserve at least some of that funding, some of that funding. I expect there'll be, you know, that, that there'll be some cuts. That is that the 80 billion that was appropriated at the outset won't all uh, be, uh, be protected, that there'll be, that there'll be some cutbacks. Uh, but that's the idea, improve an outdated system and increase voluntary compliance. So what you're saying is that if you're a typical taxpayer or small business, you don't have to worry that the IRS agents will be coming through your window or <laughs> parachuting down like, you know, black ops or something like that, special ops or anything like that. Is Can it? you imagine? <laughs> yes. It's the, the money is, the, the focus is to be on taxpayer service and audits on the upper Right. So you know, one thing I wanted to ask, you know, especially for uh, Jerome, but really both of you is, you know, we've talked a bit a lot. You've talked about, you know, it takes time for the the, the rules and the regulations, uh, the guidance to come into place. We've talked about the fact that tax policy in Congress takes time and and is very deadline driven, and some of the challenges that the IRS has had. I mean, from the standpoint of like businesses, especially those that come to you, uh, you know, um, you know. Is there a challenge with for businesses with sort of continuity and planning? I mean, if you don't quite know exactly what the tax rules are going to be going into, say, the next year, or if you're not sure, I mean, does that really present a challenge for the business community or the nonprofit community also, like we talked about, if as they're trying to plan long term? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, 
businesses needs the, uh, uh, you know certainty and, and stability obviously it, it's never perfect but you know when you have a lot of um, unknowns that basically increases the risk and it increases the costs right and it, yeah. and um, you know again if the overall goal is to have adoption of certain you know technologies you know uh, move the needle on on, on climate or, or building a better grid that serves everybody. Um, it's just, you know, you need, you need kind of that, that stability and, you know, certainty. And so, and again, with, with tax policy, it, it touches upon such a broad range of life general, you, you know, really. And, and so it's, uh, I understand why, um, there, there's difficulty, but, Again, if you're trying to move the needle on some of these big policies, big big challenges of that the country is facing, we need to have more of the certainty. And and you know, I mentioned about the you know the regulations and trying to trying to make sure have we have enough information to kind of do transactions and to make investments. Um, that's just kind of one part of it. But you know, it's also you know. Uh, certainty if like programs are even going to be around because it, it takes a lot of effort for uh industries and private parties to to um you know get ramped up and get um get their infrastructure in their businesses or their investment houses to um uh, address you know some of these uh, new programs and you know, I, I know I hear sometimes, you know, whether this is right or not, uh, some people are saying, well, no, you know, next year is going to be an election year or this year is election year. Like, who knows if this program is going to be around? And just the fact that, you know, the way that these things come about um, can can ping pong back and forth, I think even gives, you know, a certain sense of uncertainty. Right. And so, um, you know, so ideally, uh something that's decided is in place and that, you know, the country is supportive of generally, you know, should be around for a long time. Right. And then, yeah. and then you have those, um, uh, incentives to actually build up your infrastructure and, and, and take the time to invest in, in these things, but it's just not, not the way that things happen now. And so I think that's another challenge. Well said. Well, <clears throat> guys, we, can't thank you enough for taking the time today. And this has really been educational. We wanted to sort of, you know, offer a, a smattering, a bird's eye view um, into the world of, of how tax policy and, and legislation and the business community sort of come together. And you've helped us further our understanding. So I, I hope the audience feels the same way. Um, you guys have a, a great Thanksgiving holiday and we appreciate you and uh, in several months hence we'd like to have you back and talk about you know sort of a follow-up to this uh, in terms of w what we discussed what has happened and, and how it has improved or hasn't thanks very much uh, to both of you and uh, all of uh, the listeners appreciate yeah, it thanks again for having me and have great holidays thanks guys thanks so much all right well, you know, as, as riveting as a discussion on tax policy <laughs> might be to our listenership, I, I feel like that, that those two guys really know what they're talking about, and they brought up some great points. Yeah, they did. And, and, you know, look, I mean, we were joking beforehand, you know, taxes might not be the most scintillating topic, but, you know, we're talking about federal taxes. They impact so many aspects of our lives, including Whether we like it or not. Whether we like it or not, including climate, because there are so many we call green tax incentives that impact it. And, and, you know, there are a lot of good folks who are really working hard in a very sincere way to try to help use the tax code to try to improve our energy efficiency, uh, address the climate crisis and, 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 and other steps. And these two guys are both kind of really on the front lines yeah. in the sense of, of working, working on that. No, so it was really great to have great. them. Really great. And so we come to the end of another episode of Political Shadings and, so, you know, what have we learned? What, we, have, we learned? <laughs> what have we learned? Where are we? And, 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 you know, I would like to say that I think we've learned that uh, government regulation and legislation needs guidance and time in the chair in order for the business community to absorb what the potential changes that are made by the legislation and regulation mean to those particular business areas. Yeah. And so if we have any advice 
you know, for anyone on Capitol Hill, it would be to provide as much guidance and clarification as possible in either the language in the bill or in the subsequent guidance from the agencies that are affected by that in order to allow the business community to affect that level of continuity that we were discussing. I, th I think that's one thing that really came across in the interview. Yeah, I mean, it really is a public-private effort because, you know, it, it's we, don't ex we shouldn't expect the folks who deal with taxes at the Department of Treasury to be experts on green technology, right? It, it, that's fine, but that's where bringing in experts from the outside, people in the business community and the scientific community to help say how can we make these policies work as well as they can is really important. At this point, you know, I want to take a step back and, and tease our next episode. Oh, if, yes. If I can. So the month of December, we will be recording our Political Shadings holiday extravaganza. Our holiday, our Christmas, Hanukkah, everything. Christmas, Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa, Right. Uh, it will be everything you've ever wanted from a holiday extravaganza. It will be the Star podcast. Wars holiday special, like, times 10. Yes, we are bringing in a, a famous comedian uh, who has condescended somehow to be on the podcast with us. Does he know what he's getting into or who I we are? I don't. I, I think he's think. just bored. That like could be he, it. That he has makes some sense. Free time in December. That, 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 and, that, that, yeah, that, yeah, that might be it. And he will be. We will be talking about the history of political satire. Uh, we will be talking about why satire is important and why it's necessary and what its effects are. And he may throw in some satire of his own. He is actually quite famous with uh, hundreds of thousands of YouTube followers for impersonations of famous political Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, oh. et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, J.L. Coven, uh, we will be absolutely thrilled and excited to have him, and hopefully you will too. And that kind of wraps us up for the for the month. So we can thank you for your listenership as always. And uh, that being said, I'm John Lawyer. And I'm Andrew Goldberg. And here we are with Political Shadings. We are the intersection of the green economy and the business community. And we will be back to you next month with another episode. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.